Hallelujah. So we've been busy with the revision series. And uh, over the centuries, manifestations of revival or moves of God or appearances of God have been with fire. Not fire like that burns wood or coal, but looks like and it's similar to and it has very much familiar or similar effects as fire. God is referred to in Hebrews chapter 13 that our God is a consuming fire. And uh, although that's in a negative context there because that was spoken, written in the context of impending judgment on, on Israel, however, God still is a God of fire. And so there's a positive and a negative. And in the history of revivals, you will see that God would come with fire. That there are times that even though not visible, His presence would come with a sensation of fire. Where people felt like that they were being consumed, burned up by the holiness of God, or by the presence of God, or by the sheer power of God. Great revivals took place over centuries, from time to time. And uh, in these periods of time, fire would come. Some of the greatest in more recent memory was Azusa Street, where literally the fire engine would come because the church building in Azusa Street, literally flames were leaping off the top of the building. And when they would get there, there was no fire to be put out. It happened in a church just not far from here where Helga's dad was ministering and was just before his time. And again, they were having a powerful service and the fire engine was called because neighbors said there's fire leaping off the roof of the building. But it was because the place was so permeated, penetrated, so filled with the very presence of God that they literally saw flames. I want to tell you that we've had many times Satanists in this church, many times. They sit strategically. And um, I like to go up and greet them. And I like to go up and look at them and shake their hands. Because they can't look at you. You see other eyes behind the eyes. The hoho eyes. <laughs> the terrified eyes. The scared eyes. The wild eyes. And then you see their eyes go funny. They zone out. And what I like to do is look at them and say, Hi, oh, good morning. Welcome. It's so good to have you. Look straight in their eyes. And they can't look you in the eye because of the fire of God that comes out of your eyes. Amen. They cannot, cannot look at you. That's why whenever a person needs deliverance, they shut their eyes. They close their eyes because you, like Jesus, you have a fire in your eyes. The eyes behind your eyes are blazing fire eyes, the eyes of Jesus. Come on. Amen. And so right throughout history, revival has come with an incredible sense of the presence of fire. It has also come with visible manifestations of fire, where people see fire. And it's right throughout Scripture. You can have a look at it. 700 and something odd references to fire. Most of them actually refer to a literal fire. Sometimes light, sometimes lightning, the Hebrew and the Greek words. But however, there are many references to God as fire. Or his appearance as fire. So there's two parts. Number one, God is fire as far as his person is concerned. And God is fire, number two, as far as his activity or his actions are concerned. He comes as a blazing fire. Amen? And so fire is one of the most powerful metaphors in the Bible. Fire also represents the judgment of God. But I'm going to read a quote right at the end because... You know, there's a sense in which the same fire of God's love that loves me is the same fire that those who reject it burns them. Yes. Yeah. 
You understand what I'm saying? Let me see if I can give you a picture. Remember, towards the end of the plagues, one of the plagues that brought darkness to the Egyptians, when darkness came over the land, the Bible says it was the angel of God because he stood between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And the Israelites had continuous light while the other side of that same angel, there was perpetual darkness, deep darkness over the Egyptians. Amen? And so there's two sides to the love of God. The one side is the wrath and the other side is the love. God wants everyone to experience the love. But if they reject it, they experience the other fire. Is that okay? So, But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the fire of God's revival and how do we get it. How do we get this revival? How do we get on fire? How do we experience the fire of God? So first of all, let's just look at the fact that it's God's presence. Fire represents the very existence. It becomes a theophany. It's another one of those theologians. They come up with these horrible words, you know, and they sound like sicknesses, you know. Theophany, transcendence, and, you know, all of these kind of things. But a theophany is a manifestation of God, you know, and where he appears. And so fire is very much part of the appearance of God, and it speaks about him in his essential nature or his very presence. I don't know if you remember the burning bush. When the burning bush was on fire, but it was not being consumed. And, uh, you know, that's in a sense what happens to us when we get filled with the presence of God. You get filled, you get on fire, but it doesn't consume you. In other words, you can still see that it's God-free. Although he comes on fire with God, it's still God-free. He is not consumed, but he's filled with God. Amen? And so then God spoke out of the bush and spoke to Moses. And it tells us that in Exodus 3. And the incredible thing is, when Moses drew near to look, in verse 6 it says, he didn't want to look at the fire because he says, I will be looking at God. And so God in his very presence. So how do we get on fire? Well, I'm answering the question already. Get full of God. Amen. The more of God you have, the more of His presence, the more of His fire. On Mount Sinai, it's really interesting that when God descended on Mount Sinai before He gave the law, starting around about from Exodus 19 all the way through to later chapters. But the thing is, the Bible says that He came down onto the mountain as a fire. And there was smoke going up like smoke from a furnace. What is a furnace? It's a very hot fire. Is that okay? And so in Deuteronomy 4, you can read it several times in that chapter. It says this, Moses is reminding them, and he says, The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. What happened to Moses now happened to all of Israel. He spoke to them out of the midst of the fire. And it says it in verse 15, verse 33, but I want you to listen to this. Out of verse 36, the same chapter, Moses again says, Out of heaven, out of heaven, He let you hear his voice, that he might instruct you. Now, this is Hebrew parallelism, okay, where they repeat, they say the same thing, two sentences with slight differences to convey a meaning. He let you hear his voice out of heaven that he might instruct you. He showed you his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of fire. So heaven... Presence of God, and out of fire, presence of God, same thing. So I am convinced that heaven is going to be a place of 
the fire of God's presence. Amen? And so whenever God comes close, there's fire, and I'll explain some of those things now. Very interesting, when Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, and this is not the rapture, this is the second coming of Jesus, which was with the destruction of Jerusalem. And 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 says that his appearance, that Christ will come in blazing fire. Is that okay? Yeah. And it's wonderful to know that whenever he appears, and you know, you hear a lot of preachers talking about fire, you know, when they pray for people, fire. What they're saying is more of the presence of God. Interesting that it says that when Jesus appears, that he will overthrow, he will defeat the devil just by the very brightness the very splendor with which he comes because it will be fire and with the breath of his mouth. So whenever he comes, whenever he comes, there's fire. And so it's part of the nature and the essence of God. And then, of course, Revelation 1, 4, 2, 18, 19, 12, talking about Jesus, that he had eyes like blazing fire. Yeah. I remember Prophet Kerbis once talking about it. Angels are in his presence, right? Yeah. And um, so Hebrews chapter 1 and uh, in earlier verses, I think 6 and 7, I think somewhere around there. But he talks about he makes his servants winds and flames of fire. Now whenever the ministering angel shows up with me, the whole atmosphere changes and the presence of God goes to another level. And I remember Prophet Kerbis and uh, he just brought out another aspect of the fact that the eyes of Jesus, you know, are full of fire. And he said he was just worshiping, and then suddenly he saw Jesus standing there, the angels were standing around him as flickering fires. And he said, and then when he looked into the eyes of Jesus, he said it was the reflection of the angels dancing in front of him, yes. the fire. So his eyes are a blazing fire. But often God's glory became synonymous with fire. What is God's glory other than his presence? It's his presence. And when the prophets would say, and I saw the glory of God, they were saying, I saw him. I saw God's presence. But even the glory would be just, you know, like a ball of fire or a pillar of fire or an image of fire. It would be something that was burning, something that was bright. And if you read the prophets as well, you will see that. That, that's what they were seeing. But the glory of God is the presence of God. So, for example, in Exodus 24, verse 17, it tells us that the glory of God, Moses writes, the glory of God looked like a consuming fire. Is that okay? And isn't it amazing that every single day or that night, the Israelites had the privilege of looking and seeing the glory of God, the fire of God, every single day. When the glory lifted, when the glory moved, when the glory stopped, when the cloud or the pillar of fire, it was a pillar of fire It was the presence of God. We know also that it was an angel of God that contained the presence of God, okay? So everything associated with God catches a light. Is that okay? Look at the person next to you. Say, if you're associated with God, you should be out on fire. Is that okay? You should catch a light. Is that right? Okay, so even the angels, even the angels. So God is fire. Jesus has fire in his eyes. Is that okay? He's going to come like blazing fire. The angels of God are flames of fire and winds. Not only that, but the glory of God is a flame of fire. Wow. wow. 
So the sight of the glory of the Lord was a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. Amazing that when um, Aaron and his sons were ordained um, and the sacrifice was made after their ordination, listen to what Leviticus 9 says. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord, consumed the bird offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their face. Yeah. Don't you think it's time for us to see some fire? To see some glory? I mean, wouldn't it be awesome to put the message down, you know, and preach and the fire of God just falls? No, I want some fire, man. Amen? It's time for us to see fire. Wouldn't it be awesome? We come and we start worshiping. And then there's this big ball appears of holy fire. And we go, wow, Jesus, and we all hit the floor. Is it okay? I mean, yeah, amen. amen. It happened to me in Egypt. It happened in Egypt. I was preaching with the Good News Network. There are about 10 congregations in the 10 cities that make up the city of Cairo, and people came in from all. And uh, there was no hall big enough, so they, they hired the Catholic hall. And they said to me, now, you must know, the next day I'm leaving, I've preached my heart out, I've preached day after day after day, morning to night, preached, prayed, prophesied, laid hands on those people. If you ever want to see hunger, go to Armenia and go to Egypt. It was a week of intense ministry, and they said, oh, Friday night we're going to have a prayer meeting. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, thank you, then I can go home because I'm so tired. So we start the prayer meeting, I don't know, somewhere around 6 o'clock, the band's up and they're praising and things like this. And then, so then, uh, John, you must preach. So I preach. And then I say, okay, amen, let's pray. No, John, 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 preach, preach some more, preach some more. So I preach. Eventually, I was pulling out every note. I was disconnected sermons, sermons that didn't belong to each other. I was trying to weave them into a common thread. I was thinking on my feet, John, no, preach, 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 preach. Just before midnight, I am so tired. My muscles are so, my feet are so. And you must know, since 6.30, I haven't had anything to drink. I haven't had anything to eat, nothing. And uh, so I said to them, all right, when are we going to pray? Let's pray. No, John, 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 John. Some few more words, few more words. John, John, preach. I was like, I said, can I just go and get coffee? Please, please, can I get coffee? Okay, John, John, we sing, you go get coffee. And it was a long hall with a passage running parallel, and there was an upstairs room. Out the, car, out the door, when I ran out the door, people were running out the door. And they were lining up for prophecy and laying on of hands. It's now midnight, I'm tired. So I'm running down the passage, bless, bless, prophesy, prophesy, bless, 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 up the stairs. They make me coffee, horrible, horrible, cold coffee. Horrible. You know when the water's cold, the coffee powder doesn't mix, eh? And then this horrible sort of long-life milk. So the only way I figured that I could help it was put like four teaspoons of sugar in and help myself in the process. And I slicked it. It was ghastly. And I ran down the stairs, and in the passageway, a new queue had formed. So I ran down, prophesy, prophesy, bless, 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 back up. Okay, Jean, music stop. Preach some more, Jean. I said, when are we going to pray? So I'm preaching, preaching, preaching. Three o'clock in the morning. Bang, three o'clock on the dot. The angel appears on the side of the building. I see him standing there. So now I know something's coming. When the angel appears, the whole place, the atmosphere changes. And uh, the hall was packed. People were standing. 
standing, people at the back standing up on benches and tables and whatever. And all these people that included the band members just started to slide along the wall and fall like dominoes, like this. And people just began to fall. Power of God just started to fall on people as the angel appeared. And um, people started weeping, people started screaming and crying, people were on the floor. Uh, people who were sitting on the floor fell over. Fortunately, they didn't have far to fall. People that were sitting on the chairs were sliding off the chairs. <laughs> and then just above me, just above me, and I mean, I, I promise you, before God, I can see it with my eyes. No one else could see it. No one else could see the angel. I could see him with my eyes open, standing there. No one else could see it. And suddenly this big ball of fire appears above me, burning like, like this. And I'm standing looking at the fire, and, I, I, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the glory of God. And the fire starts to move, the big ball. And it appeared just above me, and it just went down. And it seemed to grow, because as it went, it didn't get smaller. It just seemed to stay the same size or get a bit bigger. And the ball just started to move down the length of the hall. And as it moved, everybody underneath it was just being blessed, touched, falling, just starting to scream. And um, as it was going, people then started to jump up, and there was a table at the back in the middle of the hall, which, you know, I don't know what it was there for. But anyway, there was a table. I think it was like an information table. But there was even people sitting behind there. And then as the glory of God is going, and everything is happening here, this ball of fire is moving, people start jumping up on the table to see all the manifestations of God's presence that are happening down in the front. I mean, there's quite a few hundred people there, and it was a long, narrow hall. And as the ball is going, I suddenly realized, like John Wesley, man, if you're on a high place and that glory goes over you, you're going to crash. You know, there's no usher then standing behind you, and you may get hurt. So I started shouting, get off the table. The glory of God's coming. But as it was, you know, it just drew more attention, you know. People are getting up because they want to see, wow, 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 this craziness that's happening. And I'm looking at this ball of fire, and I know when it gets there, those guys are clean off the table, bah, and they might land on their heads and get hurt and all this kind of thing. So I turned to Sharif, one of the leaders, big guy, and I said, Sharif, go and get those people off the table, run. So he says, yes, yes, and he ran out the door, ran down the passage, ran into the side door, getting through all the mass of people, and as he arrives at the table, the glory of God goes over the table. And you just see people flying. <laughs> and then there's this one guy who was standing on there. He was still looking like this. The next minute, pow, the power of God hit him. And Sharif, fortunately, big, strong guy, grabbed like his and he landed like a baby in his arms. As he landed in his arms, demons started to come out. And Sharif was just saying, come out, Jesus, come out, come out, set the guy free, led him to Jesus. Come on, say Amen. Come on, you haven't got a better story than that. We need the fire. Amen? We need to get on fire. We need to have the fire. We need to have the fire of God's presence. Man, we need the glory of God. So he says in Deuteronomy 5 verse 2, Surely the Lord our God has shown us His glory. And I know that Jesus is the glory. I know that Christ in us is the hope of glory. But we need an external manifestation of the glory. Come on, church. We need something visible. We need to see something. We need the effects of God in a place because of the glory of God. His appearance in the pillar of fire I already mentioned. 
as a fire, was a theophany. But not only that, in visions, prophets saw God and angels as fire. In Ezekiel, go and read it, Ezekiel chapter 1 to 3, you will see he saw a wheel within a wheel and he saw this and he saw that and angels and creatures and, you know, then they lifted, then they went. But not only that, he saw angels like fire and it says they were like lightnings of God. You know, that God would speak and they would go and back. And, and even angels as lightnings, as flashes of fire. So everything about God, I mean, then later on in Ezekiel chapter 3, I think it was, when um, he said the same glory that he saw in that vision when he's sitting by the river Kiber, he left, he was overwhelmed, when sat down in one of the plains, and he looked, and here comes God like a pillar of fire, like glory cloud again. Amen? Come on, church. We need that. Israel was in captivity. Israel was in bondage. Israel was going, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, there we were, you know, because they were in captivity. But there was a man of God who got up and said, you know, God, what do we do about this? Got into the presence of God and he saw fire and glory. While the Israelites were sitting by the river Kiber, and the captors were saying, come on, sing us one of the Lord's songs. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. They said, how can we? We're in captivity. They wept. They hung their harps on willow trees. Even willow trees look sad. You know, it reflected their faces. But here is Ezekiel saying, and I saw a river. Come on, church. We need to get a vision of something greater. We need to get a vision of the fire of God. Woo! And then, of course, fire is also God in action. God in action. And what is say? God in action. You know, fire reveals His work. It's amazing that God at times, when people offered sacrifices on special occasions, would uh, send fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. Yeah. Is that okay? I mean, we know the famous story of Elijah. When uh, God said to him, put the thing there, douse it with water, and then the fire fell. Now, all of these scriptures have been used by preachers of revival to preach about revival. They've been used by singers to sing, let the fire fall. Is that okay, church? And so when the sacrifice was acceptable... The fire of God would fall. And we know the story of Elijah. I read some years ago that they located, they think more or less, the site where Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal where the fire fell. And archaeologists did some work and they handed over rock that they took to geologists. And they found rock there that had been completely metamorphosed, that had been completely changed. And they said it was some kind of supernatural heat no stone anywhere else represents that stone. And it was because of the fire of God that fell there, consumed the sacrifice, burnt the stones, licked up the water, the very fire of God. Come on, if you get touched with the fire of God, it will change you. You'll become a different person. Amen. Once you've had the fire of God touch you, burn within you, you will be metamorphosed. You will be changed. You won't be sedimentary stone. You won't be any other rock. You won't be granite. Come on, you'll be changed into something supernatural, something that doesn't belong to this earth, something, you know, that is more heavenly than earthly. If you get filled with the fire of God, you'll be never satisfied with anything else other than the fire of God. 
And so when in the book of Judges, Gideon offered a sacrifice, God consumed it with fire. Samson's mother and father in Judges 13, when they offered a sacrifice, I think the Bible says the angel touched the rock with his staff and the fire burns. Isn't that awesome? And so there are many examples, many examples. We are a good starting place because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. To a large extent, we are already an acceptable sacrifice to God. Amen? Amen? So just that fact, just the reality of that fact, the fire of God should be consuming us because of what Jesus did for us, because the sacrifice was acceptable. However, I want to say that it does take a response from us, church. It takes us to do something. I shared this with our family pastors, our network pastors, in a voice note last night, and I said to them, everybody is talking about You don't have to go far. Nearly every album of music that you listen to is talking about revival is in the air. Nearly everyone is talking about there's a shift. I spoke to the young pastor in Port Alfred yesterday. He said there's a definite shift in the atmosphere. I spoke to uh, Pastor Alman Paul Jacobs on Wednesday, I think it was. They said it's definite new season. Whatever the terminology, some people are saying the tide has turned. Something has changed. Listen, ACF, you're really blessed. I told you this from the beginning of lockdown. I said, once we start to exit lockdown, watch what God is going to do. Amen. But now you're hearing not just whispers. You're hearing it being sung. You're hearing it being preached. There's conferences, the awakening, all of these kind of things. What is the Spirit of God trying to tell us, church? So this is what I said to the pastors. I said, you can't just leave it up to God. You can't go, well, there's an atmosphere shift. There's a change in the seasons. There's a change. You can't leave it to God. Everything that happens on earth is divine human cooperation. It is us co-working with Jesus Christ. Amen? So if we sense there's something changing, we have to throw ourselves into prayer and pray what we're sensing into existence and manifestation. Come on, church. He's not going to do it by an executive act. A lot of people say revival is a sovereign work of God. I agree, but I strongly disagree. Agree. It is God, but it takes people who are desperate, who are hungry, who are just tired of the status quo, who feel there's a death in their own lives. They feel an absence of the presence of God, and they get extremely hungry, and they press into God, and then God comes sovereignly, but in response to the desperate cries of the people of God. Come on, church. If we want the fire of God, it's going to take fiery praying. It's going to take fiery hearts set ablaze with the love of God. Come on. And so we need to press into that. Proverbs 26 verse 20 says this. Do you want to hear what Proverbs 26 verse 20 says? It's quite profound. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. So church, we have to be the wood. We have to supply the timber. We have got to be the substance that attracts the fire. And so to rely on the fact that Jesus died for me and I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, there are millions of Christians who know that, but there's an absence of revival. Because it takes more than that. 
In the light of that, it takes people who say, I will offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is my reasonable act of worship. My most logical thing that I can do is respond to His grace. And then God says, this is an acceptable sacrifice in the fire falls. One of the things that I've discovered, church, that the hungrier I get, the more desperate I get, the more I put myself into prayer, the more fire comes. We felt it in the prayer meeting yesterday morning. You know, the book of Ephesians was written around about AD 60 to AD 64. Paul planted the church around about AD 52, kind of some 10 years earlier. He once spent two whole years there in Ephesus, preaching and teaching. Two whole years. If the Ephesian church was the exemplary church, was the model church. If you read the Corinthian church, it was the naughty church. They were doing stuff there in the Corinthian church, oh my word. And accepting it. And Paul said, hey, no, 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 no. Guys, you've got to sort this out. But yet, he said this to them, you lack no spiritual gift. They were exemplary as far as the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and things like that. But they were not exemplary as far as love was concerned, because he had to tell them about love. He had to teach them about love and the gifts and consideration for one another. They were not doing communion right. Imagine this, that you come together and have communion, you're getting all stoned, drunk, and not in the Spirit, by the Spirit's you know, and they're coming in and they're just gobbling up the food. And then those that come late, you know, it sounded like, sounds like an ACF church. But anyway, and those that come late, there was nothing for them to eat. And Paul had to reprimand them. But as far as, you know, a pure church and as far as doctrine, because Paul said, I did not shun to reveal to you the full counsels of God. So he gave them the full gospel. He taught them the word in depth. But one of the things that we see later on is when John has that vision and he starts to write the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus walking amongst the candlestick and there's seven candlesticks and then there's seven stars. And it tells us in verse 19 to 20, the seven stars in my hand are the seven messengers, the seven pastors of the seven churches. The seven lampstands are the seven churches in Asia Minor that he then gets John to write to from chapter 2 and chapter 3. I think it, yeah, yeah, chapter 2 and chapter 3. But the interesting thing was that he dictates to John and he writes down messages to the churches. So in Revelation 2, he writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, Write the following to the messengers, the pastors of the congregation. The pastor of the congregation in Ephesus. Revelations 2, 1 to 5. For these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars firmly in his right hand. He walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. So I hold the pastors and I walk amongst the churches. Got it? I'm reading from the Passion Translation, so if it's a little bit different, forgive me. I know all that you've done for me. You have worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not, for they were imposters. I also know how you have bravely endured trials and persecution because of my name, yet you have not become discouraged. That's a good one. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. 
Think about how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. Your passionate love is the thing that you've lost. The exemplary church. Come on, church. In other words, what John was saying in the words of Jesus writing in dictation was you've lost the fire. Now, in Revelation chapter 4, the vision changes. He's written the letters to the churches. In Revelation chapter 4, again, he's looking away, and behind him something happens, and uh, he turns around, and he sees, and he says, I see a heavenly door, portal open before me, Revelation 4, 1 to 5, and the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning broke the silence, and he said, ascend to this realm. Are you all listening? Ascend to this realm. Come up here, he was basically saying. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. Now, I want you to understand, he had just written letters, and just before that, he had a similar vision, and he has Jesus walking amongst the lampstands, the churches. He's got the stars in his hand, but there's something missing. And then he says, Instantly I was taken into the spirit realm, and behold, I saw a heavenly throne set in place, and someone seated upon it. His appearance was sparkling like crystal, glowing like a carnelian gemstone. Surrounding the throne was a circle of green lights. I mean, can you all see? Everything's brilliance. Everything's on fire. Everything's aflame. Everything is glowing. Everything's lit up like an emerald rainbow. And encircling the great throne with 24 thrones, with elders in glistening white garments seated upon them and wearing crowns of victory and pulsing. Woo! Thank you, Passion Translation. And pulsing from the throne were blinding flashes of lightning. Angels going out. Crashes of thunder and voices and burning Before the throne are seven blazing torches which represent the sevenfold spirit of God. What was John saying? John was saying to, I've just showed you a vision of the churches. The Ephesian church, the Laodicean church, all of those churches. Philadelphia church, the seven churches of Asia Minor. There's Jesus walking amongst the candlesticks. He's got the pastors in his hand. But what he's seeing is not one of them has fire. The fire's gone out. Come on, church. This church must not be a church where there's no fire, no presence. Amen? And in the explanation of the vision, God tells him, number one, you need to ascend to this place. You need to get into my presence. You need to seek me. You need to spend time in my presence. Then you will rekindle the fire. Even Timothy, even Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, fan into flame that fire that was once in you. Fan it back into flame. Get on fire. Are you with me, church? We will not see things. We relegate everything to God. We abdicate responsibility. We do not realize that we are co-workers for Christ. Your spiritual condition is not my fault. 
Your spiritual condition is your responsibility. Is that okay? You can hear from God wherever. In the deadest church, you can be on fire. How much more in a live church? There's no excuse not to be on fire. Come on, church. You can't blame anyone else. You can't blame your husband who hurt you. You can't blame anyone else. You are as on fire as you have chosen to be. You are as near to God as you want to be. Come on, church. Let's be honest. Let's be honest and say, yeah, no, that's true. You stand in the circle of intimacy that you stand in because that's where you've chosen to stand. Because sometimes a closer walk with God, the price is too high. It does take commitment. It does take offering yourself as a living sacrifice on the altar. Amen? There's many, there's many. The fire of God is not falling on them. But there are some. There was the guy who actually started the vineyard churches. I just read a little bit about him. His name was Lonnie Frisbee. And he was so desperate, so hungry for God. Because I don't know about you, if I read the pages of the Bible, if I read the book of the Acts of the Apostles, I go, Jesus, where's this stuff? It's not the God of the Bible who, <laughs> who had that recorded. It's us. Amen? It's one of the reasons why you need to pray for me. He holds me in his hand. But, but, you know, I've committed myself to just get back on fire, to have more fire than ever before fire. You know, holy, pure fire. Fire is what I want fire. You know, if I haven't mentioned it already, I want to be on fire with the very fire of God. Amen? Amen? And I want anyone who comes near me must catch a light. Spontaneous combustion, fire. Fire, 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 fire. Amen. Jesus said, you know, I've come to salt you with fire. That was a judgment scripture, but we can put it in the positive. What Jesus really wants is to salt us with fire. Amen. Put us on fire. We saw it when the disciples were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Fire came and sat on their heads. Is that okay? I think that that presence of God that led the Israelites because God was with them, but God was not in them. And Jesus said, the day will come when I will not only be with you, but I will be in you. And so that same pillar of fire that led the Israelites divided up into separate angels, and one came down on each of the disciples, 120 angels, burning and set them ablaze. I don't know about you, but I want to be on fire, man. I will tell you today, I will tell you, after many manifestations and appearances with the angels in a supernatural way, the angels started appearing to me and things like that, and um, I had encounters with him and saw him like in Egypt, many other places, etc., etc. And uh, I always used to try and ignore the angel, but then one day I realized if God has given this angel with me to help me to minister wherever I go, and I always invite him wherever I go. Even every Sunday, it's 1.2 kilometers from my house to here. I always just say, God, you promise. You promise. The angel will go with me. I'm going to my church. He needs to be there. And after many, many experiences, I don't want to freak you out. Please don't get weird and start seeing, you know, see genuine, real things, you know. But... The one day I was here in the church praying, and I said, Lord, thank you. Um, I think it was around the time that morning when I walked in, and 
six or seven angels were walking around there um, when the side door was here. And I walked in, and as I walked in, I saw them walking around. And when I turned to look at them, they were gone. And then that morning, we had a powerful meeting, and there was powerful miracles in the meeting. And so they're there. And um, I don't wish I see them. I see them. I see them. Most times, I sense, sense his presence, okay? Most times. But there are times when I literally see where he's walking. I can just stand back and watch him. And wherever he walks in the meeting, things happen. Everybody else is looking and seeing that person scream, that person cry, that person fall off the floor. But I see the angel go over and stand by them and touch them. Wow, was Come on, this is normal Christianity. This is normal Christianity. What am I doing sharing this with you, trying to brag and make like I'm some big deal? No, I'm trying to inspire you to action to prayer, to hunger, you know, that you pray because you're so hungry and so desperate for God. I was praying and I said, I could feel the angel was with me that morning and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I want to thank you for this ministering angel because there have been times when I've been so tired in Egypt, Armenia, England, up to 24 meetings in 17 days and traveling all over the country. Preaching, preaching, preaching. Just travel there, get out, preach, get off the train, you know, get picked up, you know, catch a taxi to the church, preach morning and night. And exhausted, where the angel has come and ministered strength to me. The angel's come and given me words of knowledge. The angel's come and given me revelation on the scripture, things like that. And um, made the preaching easy. A town called Princess Risborough in England, the angel walked over to a lady on the front row that I just prophesied and I stopped and I was watching him out of the corner of my eye and I just looked down at the ground and I just stopped and I stood like this and I could see him and he walked over to the lady and he hit her clean off the chair. <laughs> For 30 minutes, the angel rolled her up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. After a few minutes, he disappeared but, but he w- I knew he was still there because this lady was rolling up and down around on her stomach, then on her back head over heels, spinning around. It's supernatural. You could not do that. The holy awe of God fell on that meeting and some religious people got up and ran out the door <laughs> because of just the incredible presence of God. So I was praying and I said, Lord, I just want to honor him. And I said, in order to honor him, please would you tell me his name? And instantly the Lord told me the angel's name. And I said, thank you, Lord. And then I thanked the angel for being with me. I don't give him attention. I don't worship him. I don't look for him. I don't pray to him. I don't, nothing. Angels don't want to be seen. They don't want attention. They are servants. They want your eyes on Jesus. And uh, I went inside and I sat down at the computer and I said, when I finished praying, and I said, that must be a Hebrew name, a Hebrew word. So I googled the Hebrew word of that name. No, didn't nothing. So I said, yeah, I wonder what. So I spelled it the way I thought I should spell it. So then, so uh, sorry, I didn't Google it. I went into the Strong's and Vines, in a dictionary. No such word. Then I asked Google because Google knows everything. Yes. <laughs> Google's clever. Yeah. So I went into Google and I googled meaning of, and I put the name of the angel. 
and up it came. The meaning is the glory and the light and the fire that consumes the sacrifice. Come on, that's wow. I want to close with some of these things that is part of our response. We need to offer ourselves. I like what Tommy Tenney says. He says, fire doesn't fall on empty altars. There has to be a sacrifice on the altar for the fire to fall. If you want the fire of God, you must become the fuel of God. So we need to be spending more time in His presence. More time in His presence also means more time in His Word. It's no wonder Jeremiah said, your words are a fire in my mouth. It's a fire shut up in my bones. I can't help but speak. That's what Jeremiah said. I love it because even Paul said, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because he said, never restrain or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Once again, the more of God you have, the more fire. We need to reclaim our first love, like he said to the Ephesians. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us. Because we are absolutely convinced that he gave his life for all of us. So we are fueled by the passion that motivates us. It's a fire. Song of Songs 8, 6, and 7 tells us, the writer saying, Place me like a seal on your heart like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy as enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. You have love for God, passionate love for God, you'll be on fire for God. You have love for people, you'll be on fire for God. Amen? The Lord God, Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, is a devouring fire because He is a jealous God. In other words, His love is fiery with jealousy to protect the relationship that He has with us. So God is a jealous God. He jealously longs over us. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, the spirit that He caused to live in us tends to be envious. It tends towards envy. Why? Because the Ephesian Christians, he's saying, is you flirting with the world and you're flirting, you know, away from your first and true love, which is Jesus. So the spirit in you has got jealous yearnings dragging your heart back to the lover of your soul. Come on, if we fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with people, we'll be on fire. Amen? Amen. But also we need to be enthusiastic. Is that okay? To be enthusiastic means to be possessed of God. Okay? And so Paul says in Romans 12, 11, Be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. Keep your passion towards Him hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. And let Him fill you with the excitement as you serve Him. Samuel Chadwick, one of the great revivalists, said, The spirit-filled souls are ablaze for God. They love with a love that glows. They serve with a faith that kindles. They serve with a devotion that consumes. They hate sin with fierceness that burns. They rejoice with a joy that radiates. Love is perfected in the fire of God. I like what Dr. A.J. Gordon says. You can do more than pray 
after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. See, a lot of the devotion and our response is in His presence, in His Word. It's in prayer. It's in worship. Last thing, then I'm finished. The soul's safety is in its heat. As a Christian, the safety of your soul is in the fire that's in it. I'm going to say that again. The safety, church, of your soul is in the degree of the fire that's in it. Truth without enthusiasm, morality without emotion, ritual without soul make for a church without power. Destitute of the fire of God, nothing else counts. Possessing the fire, nothing else matters. Without the fire, nothing counts. You can have the best band, the best songs, but with no passionate fire for God, it's an unacceptable sacrifice. You can have the worst singing, the worst band, hearts full of fire for God, it counts. So I just want to conclude with this. I mentioned earlier, you know, about the one side of the fire is love. The one side is the judgment of God. And, and I'm not preaching a, a... God wants us all on fire. He wants everyone yeah. saved. Brian McLaren says this. We're seeking a theology that brings radical good news of great joy for all the people. Good news that God loves the world and didn't send Jesus to condemn it but to save it. Good news that God's wrath is not merely punitive, but it's also restorative. Good news that the fire of God's holiness is not bent on torment, but always works to purify and refine. Good news that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Come on, church, I don't know about you, but I think that we need the fire of God. I don't know about you, but... I have committed myself. I've committed myself. We're pastoring. It's going on 21 churches. I get many, many pastors phoning me for advice. I'm looking after other young men in ministry who are not part of that network, not part of that friends board. I'm writing a book. I'm endeavoring to grow this church and be a good pastor to you and put things in place. But one thing I know I've learned by experience is the more fire the better it gets amen people will come to the fire people will come to where there's a real genuine passion this young man in Port Alfred that I was that I'm mentoring he phoned me and he said his um, stepdad is the former mayor of Kabecha of PE and um, two weeks ago I did his mother's memorial service and he said to me, he says, my stepdad keeps talking about you. He said, because you've made a huge, huge impact in his life. One of the things that he said, the former mayor, because just before he became a former mayor, I prophesied that 
think you'd be escalating in politics. And then he was, he became the mayor of, of PE. Isn't it awesome? But he sent me a message the last time down I was in Port Alfred. And he said, I want to thank you for your ministry because, he said, every time I sit and listen to you, you make God a reality to me. Church, if we don't have the fire of God, God is a notion. God is an idea. God is a theory. But He's more than that. He's real. He's the only true God. People need to catch the fire that is inside of us. Fire begets fire. Amen. And, and you know, David Brainard, who brought revival to the North American Indians, when he prayed, fire fell. They say he would go and pray in the snow, the same as Dwight Al Moody, go into a forest. But David Brainard as well, they say that he would go out into the fields up onto the side of the mountain and he would just lay down and pray, groaning, travailing, in agony, wanting the North American Indians to be saved. They say that when he left that place of prayer, for meters around him, the snow had melted completely because of the fire of God's presence that fell on him. They say that Dwight Al Moody, a lawyer, always dressed very smartly, suit and bowler and the necktie and things like this. They say you'd see him walking off into the woods to go and pray. One day a reporter was trying to find out what is the secret of his power? How is it that the fire of God falls in the city when Dwight Al Moody preaches? And he said he found him and he saw him at a distance rolling in the leaves on the forest floor bed under the canopy of trees, rolling, holding his midriff, just agonizing, crying, groaning for God. Then you'd get up and preach. And the city came to Jesus. We can pray a little bit more. You know, just a little bit more prayer would change the spiritual temperature. Just a little bit more prayer might ignite a flame inside of you that causes you to become a fanatic for Jesus. Let holy fire fall. Sure. blowing are we going to let it pass or are we going to just press into God and just say God I need more of you I need more of you Lord Lord would you just come and fill your people afresh just fill us Lord
Father, ask Him, fire fall down. Come on, I've explained it. The fire of His presence. If you want to, you can stand. fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you, be your portion now and always till Christ appears again in Jesus name if you can take more time to pray this week I'll appreciate it if you can reach out your hands to me and pray for me right now I'll appreciate it come on my intention is to ascend to the place where the one is enthroned who holds the stars in his hands to get to that place where the sevenfold spirit of God is to the one in whom his hand is the seven hands holding the seven horns with the oil of the fullness of the Holy Spirit just pray for me that God would just enable me to do what I need to do while giving prayer a priority. Just speak blessing over it. Speak blessing. Speak blessing. Just say, Lord, bless Pastor John. Would you anoint him? Would you set him ablaze? Would you give him a fresh anointing, fresh unction, fresh revelation? Father, would you give him fresh strength, renew his strength like that of an ox? Lord, that nothing would be able to bring him down. Lord, exalt the horn of his salvation. Lord, would you, the one, Lord, in whose hand is the hiding place of your power, that holding of the seven horns, the seven vials, would you pour out your spirit in fullness over Pastor John as he ministers? Will there be just lightning flashes of God? Will there be fresh fire? Lord, would you pour out fresh anointing, fresh Holy Spirit fire on those men, those women of God. Lord, as we release them into ministry, Lord, would you cause a fire to break out in Zimbabwe? Lord, that would just reach far and wide, that Lord, floods of water would be poured on the dry ground, changing the picture, Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit, rivers would flow in the name of Jesus. We all agreed, said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The Lord bless you. I love you all. Be blessed. Bless you.